0: It is time to get the view from Victoria with Rob Shaw, political correspondent for Czech News. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jill. And before we get to uh, all things political, I must say your uh, footage, you put out a picture of the rain in uh, Victoria. That was quite the sudden downpour.
1: Yeah, we had thunder and and rain here that uh, I was out possibly getting a donut from the, <laughs> the local uh, coffee shop and it took five minutes and I got just soaked just a downpour here so it was quite uh, it was quite a drop in temperature and rain here in Victoria the other day, and I gather in Vancouver as well.
0: Mm -hmm, Definitely. I I thought you were going to say you were out riding your bike now that you're such an avid cyclist, but no. No,
1: I'm done that. I'm back on donuts now.
0: (laughs) Very, very nice. Uh, And and I think you're right. Uh, People welcoming the rain, but also feeling a bit caught off guard by it and with the thunder and lightning.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we heard from wildfire officials yesterday, too, that even though the rain is great, you'd need rain for several days to lower the risk of of wildfires. So we kind of get all excited when we have rain for five or ten minutes, but it really doesn't do much in in the large scheme of things, and lightning can be a risk for new fires, too, so it wasn't quite as positive as we uh, as we thought yesterday.
0: No, that is very very true. Well, let's find out what else is happening and gas prices certainly top of mind for people and as you have pointed out, people do like to blame all, all levels I think of government.
1: Yeah, every time gas prices go up and we saw on the weekend in Metro Vancouver, you know, I think it was like $2.13 a, a liter, a, a lot of people turn to government and I think it's because gas pricing is so Complicated. It is ridiculous. It's kind of like when you try to understand the price of gas. We're all we're all like cave people trying to understand thunder. You know, we're shaking our fists at the sky because we don't get it because the system doesn't make sense. Uh, and we have so-called experts that end up on the media talking about this sort of endless bag of excuses about you know downtime in a refinery you've never heard of and the Canadian dollar and the get you know price of a barrel somewhere else. And um, but it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in the, in the, in the, uh, big scheme of things. And so, you know, the BC government spent a lot of time trying to understand gas prices and, uh, you know, the public tends to turn to the province to say, well, you solve it, you cut your taxes, you do something about it. And the, and the government doesn't really have a lot of wiggle room on it unless you want to start going after some of the, uh, kind of basic tax structure of, of gas. And, um, that seems to be the discussion we are at again uh, in the in the last few days. Well, let's cut taxes, and uh, it's not it's not quite as simple as that. Uh, when it comes to the price of gas, unfortunately.
0: Do you think it's also because when we had the review and when the province uh, basically said to everybody, uh, don't worry, we're going to get to the bottom of this and we're going to figure out exactly what's happening and we're going to see if it's those big, bad gas companies that are gouging, but they didn't look at taxes and we found the missing 13 cents, but they refused to talk about how much was actually going to taxes. And I think people kind of saw through that a little bit.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of that, but I mean, the bottom line for gas pricing in British Columbia is that we don't have enough gas, right? And we produce maybe 30% of our demand in Metro Vancouver at the Parkland refinery. The rest of it comes mainly from the Trans Mountain pipeline from Alberta. There's a lot of people out there who hate the pipeline, don't want to see it twinned, want to see us get rid of it, and yet complain about the price of gas, which is uh, you know affected by the capacity of the pipeline. And the other part of gas pricing that is very complicated is that 90% of the market in the South Coast is controlled by only four companies, including Parkland, which happens to own you know, the Esso and Chevron retail arm. So you have a very, very small number of companies in BC controlling most of the kind of distribution and retail. And then you have a limited capacity and a kind of you know, hypocrisy in, in some ways of people who don't like a pipeline that brings in all the gas. And so those are the levers that you could use to change the price of gas. Yes, we could go in and we could browbeat the provincial government to turn the price of gas down on taxes. But then you're going to start doing, like taxes only make up a quarter of the price of gas at the pump. And you would have to start doing things like getting rid of the 18 and a half cents a liter for the translate tax. And that's a very important source of revenue For TransLink, you know, forty percent of its budget is tax revenue. Half of that tax revenue is the fuel tax, and so you you'd you'd start to seriously impact TransLink. You could get rid of the carbon tax; it's federally mandated, so BC would instantly uh, be out of line there. That's almost three billion dollars. That's the same price of all of British Columbia's social assistance every year in the budget. You could drop, um, you know, the the other sort of federal excise tax. I guess if you convinced Ottawa or the GST, but it, it just doesn't it doesn't really work when you start going at that that tax route. And a lot of people who who make the argument about tax cuts and gases have an axe to grind on the carbon tax or an axe to grind on on government in general. But it's in, it is almost impossible to ever see a point when the the NDP government or even the previous you know uh, Liberal government. Uh, would have been interested in cutting taxes uh, because that's big revenue in the budget, and it's uh, it's not something that the governments want to do.
0: No, it's a, it's a good point. We've talked about this before too. They could even, although it would be kind of symbolic, they could stop taxing on top of the taxes and uh, offer a bit of relief that way.
1: Sure, they they could do that. I guess. I mean, it, the other thing that government has noted, though, in, in its past kind of studying of this, is that they, it it feels strongly that if it did something like that, if it fiddled with a tax here or there, offered a tiny little bit of relief and cost millions of dollars in the budget, that somewhere along the line, one of those four companies would just increase their price to make up the room that is there when government cuts taxes. And we wouldn't really understand it because the pricing system is so insanely complicated and not transparent at all and we would complain that the price of gas didn't actually go down. Some expert would show up on the news and say, well, actually, we have a momentary shutdown at the Louisiana plant for unscheduled maintenance, so that 10 cents a liter the government just saved by cutting this part of the tax has been taken up. You wouldn't see it. That's government's view, is that you would not actually see a sustained lowering of price if it cut taxes because the system would just take the profit somewhere else. And and I don't know. if I mean, it, it depend on if you believe that or not, but I think in a system that is so um, difficult to understand, that's probably a fairly good point from the province.
0: Well, continuing now with Rob Shaw, political correspondent for Czech News. And Rob, we talked about this when it was announced, the closure of a very popular park, Joffrey Lakes Provincial Park, and the government caught off guard by that. What is happening with trying to reach some kind of an agreement there?
1: Yeah, I talked to Environment Minister George Heyman yesterday about this and asked him, you know, what does the government intend to do about the Lilawat uh, Nation and the Nikwawa Nation uh, basically shutting off the public from Joffrey Lakes Provincial Park until what they say will be uh, at least the end of September for Truth uh, and Reconciliation Day. And uh, he said, I, I think it was kind of interesting because the province is wrestling with what to do here because there are principles of UNDRIP and, and title and, and rights uh, being invoked by the First Nations. Uh, but at the same time, the public is upset that uh, one of the most popular parks in the province has just been shut without any consultation or any uh, discussion. And uh, interesting, you know, George Heyman uh, told me he does not think it's necessary for the nations to close the park to meet their cultural and food gathering and privacy reasons that they have stated. And they want to uh, conduct their traditional uh, ceremonies on the land and don't want the public there. And the province's view is you can do both and you should not be shutting the park, uh, which is is kind of a, a bit of a stronger position than I thought the NDP government was going to take. I thought they were going to basically just disappear on this um, and, and not do anything about it at all because it's so complex Um, He has urged the leaders uh, of both nations to sit down with him. He was hoping to get word yesterday whether they were going to do that. The province has only really offered to cancel the reservations uh, at the park, the free day passes, the the camping reservations, uh, for a short time. And it has uh, hoped that it could negotiate some type of reopening uh, and, and move to bring people back. So he has called it urgent. He said he's told the leaders that it is urgent, that he wants, he will go to the table himself uh, to help negotiate this if they, if they want. Um, but uh, the leaders uh, have said in their statements that they're very frustrated with the province and uh, they have not been uh, quick to respond to the minister's uh, outreach.
0: And wasn't one of the concerns, too, or one of the, the reasons given for shutting down the park saying that they had actually reached out to the ministry, to government officials to talk about this beforehand, but didn't hear back or weren't uh, pleased with the, the amount of or the lack of, of discussion? And that's why they took the move to shut it down?
1: That's right. Yeah. A sense of frustration from the nations that they had helped government develop the free sort of day pass system that came in in 2021. They'd signed on 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 a kind of land management strategy with the province on visitor use of the park that was supposed to accommodate their traditional cultural needs. And then when they came to the province recently and asked for space and privacy to do things, they didn't hear anything back from BC parks. And that led to this shutdown. And that is certainly a failure of something within the BC park system and Heyman's ministry. He says, the minister says that he didn't know anything about this. He wasn't aware of that frustration until they closed the park and he immediately jumped on the file to get a resolution. That sounds like a failure within government for sure. But the question now is how do you get what he calls kind of a, an outcome that everyone can can live with together, because he he you know Heyman made the point to me that he said he has told the chief we all have to live here together, and that although the government respects the UN declaration and the and the rights and title from the courts, um, they have to come up with a solution that works for everyone, and I think that position is going to be very very complex for a government, an NDP government that has spent so much time. You know, uh, on UNDRIP and on uh, Indigenous rights and title that, for, that they're going to have to step very carefully here in trying to, to get this park reopened while not uh, appearing to sort of backpedal on, on some of their previous commitments in that area.
0: Right. Even though the park, I mean, it has been open. And like we've talked about, that's why they brought in the whole visitor pass and the the having to reserve system, because it is such a popular park. And there have been issues with garbage, with too many people at some points. But you would think that the First Nations then have been working with people. They've been they've been doing their traditional ceremonies and and things in in the park alongside it still being open to the public. So I, I'm curious, even looking at the release, trying to figure out exactly what changed or if they're doing this more to kind of take a stand and get more attention paid to it.
1: Yeah, it's difficult because the uh, you know uh, the Chief Dean Nelson um, from lillowatt hasn't done a lot of interviews about this. He was briefly sort of on CBC expressing his level of frustration that, um, that he had tried. They had tried to approach BC Parks and negotiate something with them on how they needed to use the land, how they wanted to harvest and hunt and conduct their ceremonies. And, and they, they couldn't get anywhere with that. And so you're right, maybe there is a solution here that involves part of the park but the public can still use it uh, but the government didn't engage in that and they allowed this to sort of uh unfortunately kind of blow up on them and this is the result it is a very busy park it is uh you know a, a traffic problem that's why they have the day pass it is a social media darling of a park everyone's there shooting instagram videos and uh tiktok videos and stuff but uh you know uh, th- The the province is hoping they can find a way out of this. I think they'll have to go back and find out how it got so bad in the first place and figure out uh, how to prevent that again. Because there are other First Nations who have, you know, land claims on provincial parks who need to use them for their cultural traditions. And you don't want to start a precedent where nations just cut off the public because the, the provincial government is not listening to them. Uh, until they have to make that very dramatic gesture.
0: Right. And even looking at the confusion of some of the people showing up at this park, that's only going to get worse, I would think, until they find a, a solution.
1: Yeah, you have park rangers that are there uh, turning people away. And according to the minister, people have been fairly uh, understanding so far about it. But there is that confusion of folks who'd planned a last holiday or camping or or that kind of thing. And eventually, if this carries on, eventually, you know, you just you have to expect that at some point there'll be some type of conflict too. Some folks will show up mm-hmm. there trying to assert some type of freedom or, you know, whatever. Uh, and that's something everyone wants to avoid too. So uh, a, an urgent situation from the minister willing to go up there himself and and try to negotiate this. He's an old um, union negotiator, George Heyman. So it's he has experience at the negotiating table and uh, we'll see if they take him up on that offer.
0: All right. Sounds good. Rob, thank you. And we'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: Okay, take care.